Welcome to Coach House Talks. Well, we're up to uh, Luke and Acts, so I've kind of shoved them together. Why? Because they come under the same author, and actually it's probably best to read it as one because it's one continuous. So of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic meaning they have a common view. Luke provides us with the bridge between the gospels, okay? Um, So the gospel is just the good news of Jesus. So when we say gospel to each other, that's what it means. It's good news being proclaimed. And the next era in biblical history. Now you've heard me talk about this various times, so you'll hear me talk about it again today. These times are called by various names. The, in the Bible, you'll find them called the time of the Gentiles. You'll hear it called the last days. And you'll hear it maybe simply called the end times. The space between humans, Jesus' human life on earth and the end of time as we know it. In other words, the place that we exist right now. So Luke is the writer of his gospel and its second part, the book of Acts, which is why we've put them together. And he's probably the only Gentile author in the New Testament. And we can't possibly go through all of the events. Uh, After all, we've spent a year going through Acts, so we don't really want to be going through all of that again. So we are going to take a bird's eye view of what's going on and see how that affects us today. So Luke and Acts, when they are taken together, they form a carefully constructed document. And they are to prove to his reader that Jesus is the Messiah. This guy's the real deal. Whose purposes are higher and more encompassing than perhaps we ever have considered. The Gospel of Luke is very precise and it's given with a very determined reason. And we're told what that reason is. Right at the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1, in the first four verses, he says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled amongst us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating amongst the early disciples. And having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honourable Theophilus. So you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So he's got a very precise view here, hasn't he? I'm going to gather all this information together. I'm going to prove to you, my reader, that everything you've heard is accurate and that you can be certain of it. Now, this accurate account means that Luke, who does not appear to be an eyewitness himself, has considered and collated all the information that's been available to him, collected from eyewitness testimony and accounts that have already been written. Did you get that bit? Accounts that have already been written. So there's plenty of material that Luke's looking at that talk about Jesus that have already been captured and written down by the time Luke writes his gospel. That's why we know that all the accounts of Jesus and Jesus being a real person, there are so many different accounts that have already been captured. And Luke takes all of this in. And it points to a, a lot of source material already available at the time. And you may hear things like, oh, they must have had something they all went to and and, and, and all copied. So you hear things like they went to the Q document. This document's never, ever been found. But they say the three Gospels are so similar, they must have come from another source. 
Well, the truth is they were all talking to one another, they were all sharing stories with each other, and it was all fairly written down pretty quickly and pretty accurately. And Luke gathers all of this information together. He probably bases a lot on Mark's gospel, which we think is the earliest one. But the main thrust of Luke's gospel is to show that Jesus was the perfect man. Now, we've looked at all the four Gospels and we've looked at the fact that they all have a slightly different angle on what they want you to see. Luke's Gospel is to show that Jesus was the perfect man and therefore the perfect sinless sacrifice for sin. So it's no surprise to see that Luke traces Jesus right the way back to Adam in his genealogy in Luke chapter 4. And it's also why Luke is the go-to Gospel for events surrounding Jesus' birth. The Messiah born into humanity. He's pointing this very, very vivid picture that Jesus operated as a man. And he's making sure that we all get this. And there's a common theme, though, shared amongst all of the Gospels, and it's something I want to try and pick out today. Jesus spoke continually about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He spoke all the time about this. Now, I want you to get this. The kingdom of God is where God rules and dwells with his people. Okay, that's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of heaven is the place where that will happen. Does that make sense? So it's God ruling and dwelling with his people, and there's a place where that's going to happen. This is clearly identified as a major theme for Luke as he continues his narrative seamlessly from Luke into the book of Acts. That's why we know that they're kind of the same things. He tells you in Acts 1, very beginning of Acts 1, chapter 1, first three verses, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, so he's linked the person he's writing to and he's saying in my first book, there was a first, first section and here's the second section. I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he taught to them about the kingdom of God. So he links it all back. It's going to be all about the kingdom of God. Everything we're going to talk about is the kingdom of God. Acts is going to introduce you to the kingdom of God. Luke ends his gospel and starts the book of Acts with the same event. That event is? Thank you, Jesse. The ascension of Jesus. Jesus ascending into heaven. See, this is the bridge. This is the, the, the link, if you like, Jesus has accomplished his mission as a man. It is finished, he's cried. Okay, nothing to do. It is finished. The work completed and now returns to the Father's side. And it's where I would like to focus our attention today. Luke 24, from verse 44, says this. Then he said, this is Jesus, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent, and you are witnesses of all of these things. Jesus is very clear that all scripture talks about him. But note that disciples had to have their minds opened. Interesting that, isn't it? I think we have to have our minds opened as well. They needed to grasp the truth of God's intentions. Everything before Jesus has been a model or a representation of the real deal. So everything we've read about in the Old Testament, everything we've looked at has been coming up to this point. This is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to be. This is what it's going to feel like. And Jesus says, and here I am. I am. Whether the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, whether it's the temple in the Old Testament, whether it's the role of kings or priests in the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus. Every single one of them. And as the writer to the letter of Hebrews will tell us, Jesus is supreme over all of those things. He is the real embodiment of everything that's foreshadowed him before in the Old Testament. So God's intention was always Jesus, always, right from the very beginning. They were all shadows of what was to come. So let's remind ourselves of three points that Luke highlights throughout his accounts. Number one, forgiveness. He is majoring on forgiveness all the time. Forgiveness of sin only through Jesus. The sacrificial system is over. It's gone. It's complete. It is finished. Repent and believe in Jesus for your forgiveness. Jesus is the promise of the Old Testament scripture and he is the everlasting covenant. There is no more covenants to come. That's it. A continual theme of Luke's writing is salvation. Salvation for all. Remember, he's the only Gentile writer. And he encompasses all. Jew and Gentile alike are returned into God's family. We have a new covenant and it's confirmed to us by Jesus' blood. Number two. We are filled. The power of the Holy Spirit is the sign of this new covenant. Okay, so not only, so if you remember the covenants in the Old Testament, they were always, here's a covenant, and here's a sign of my covenant to you. You are my people, so be circumcised. Okay, there was a sign that accompanied the covenant. Here's Jesus, you are, I am the new covenant. It's, you know, the, the, the blood is the signal of it, but now here's the sign of it. There will be signs. Power will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Luke 24, verse 49. And now, Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So no longer is the law a set of commands to go and refer to. You don't run to the book of the law to go find out what I should be doing because I've done this, this, or this. Now the Spirit is dwelling within us, helping to change us, 
and bringing the power of God into our lives. The Holy Spirit is our enabler. The law has been written on our hearts. Wow, this is amazing. This is amazing stuff, especially if you're a Jew listening to this. Number three, the third point that Luke wants to draw our attention to. He finishes with it and he starts acts with it. Jesus is going to return again. And after Jesus returns to the Father, the disciples are told, right at the beginning of Acts 1, in verse 11, the, 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 kind of the people dressed in white, the, the, Jesus has ascended, he's gone, he's gone into the clouds, and then two people arrive, he's shining white, and they say to the disciples, why are you standing here, staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. That's fairly obvious, isn't it? He's not here anymore. He's gone. However, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is the final event. The culmination of all of God's grace towards us. The final restoration of God dwelling with his people. Our promise and intended rest. Now, let me try and tie all of this in for us. And in order to do that, we've got to go right back to the beginning. <sighs> I know it's all backwards and forwards, but that's the Bible. Everything talks about Jesus. Let's go to the beginning. Have you ever noticed that right at the start of God's word to us in Genesis, we have the creation account? And each day is marked with the evening passed and morning came, denoting the completion of the day. So, if I look at, have you got your Bibles with you, anyone? So if you want to turn to Genesis 1, just so you can check on me. So every day is marked with verse, uh, verse 5, evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Verse 8, and evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. So on and so forth. 13, evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. 19, and evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. 23rd, and evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Uh, and finally, 31, evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Now, most of your Bibles will end chapter one there, yeah? And it will just go straight to chapter two which is a real shame. Because this narrative continues on. It doesn't have a break where you go, oh, I'll go have a cup of tea and I'll forget everything that's gone before and then I'll start afresh with something new. This is a continuation. And it's a real shame that our Bibles have these chapter two divisions at this point. Because I think we fail to see something significant about the day that follows, the Lord's day. So Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. This is the same rendering. So as soon as we've had all of these evenings of past morning came marking the sixth day, so the creation of heavens and earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his creation. That's it. Where's the evening? Where's the close of this day? Where's the end of this seventh day? It's simply not there. 
And I think because we have these chapter separations, we miss it. First day, end. Second day, end. Third day, end. Fourth, fifth, sixth day, end. Seventh day, no end. God has entered his rest. It's marked as something different. This is the holy day, God's rest, and it lasts forever. It's eternal rest. And it predates Jewish election and encompasses all of God's creation. When God enters his rest, there is no such thing as Jew and Gentile. There's no separations that we see today that Paul has to address in all of his letters, saying no more do we have any of this. This is what's intended. We are all one. At this point in time, we were all one. And God rested. We're presented right at the beginning with the intention that God has for us today. To dwell with him in the place provided for us in perfect relationship and harmony. It's a picture of heaven. And I'm glad we prayed for marriages because you've just read it there why it's important. Perfect relationship and marriages reflect our relationship with God the Father. So we should you know, we, sh- we should hunger after good marriages and pray for marriages. And I know that doesn't encompass everybody because things happen in life. But it is something that does reflect how our relationship with God works. So whatever there's that way, there's always something that way. Okay? The thing about this picture of heaven, though, is it's fairly obvious we haven't got there, isn't it? This world does not feel like the one we've just described. Does it? Anyone going to be brave enough to say, yeah, it does? It doesn't, does it? Things go wrong. We've just said, you know, we pray for our marriages. Why? Because our marriages break down. We have problems. Man fights with woman. Woman fights with man. We fight against nations. We fight against each other. This world is not the place that God intended when he went into his rest. The question, therefore, is how do we navigate between the two? While we wait, the Bible tells us we will be given power as the Holy Spirit comes upon us. An expression of the final kingdom to come through us now. Colossians 1, verses 25 to 27. Sorry to uh, to Dan or or, um, um, uh, Johnny who doing all of the letters God has given me that's Paul the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past but now it's been revealed for God's people for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too and this is the secret Christ lives in you this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we might not have entered into this rest yet, but we have the assurance that we will. And the book of Acts, which recounts the Acts of the Apostles, tells us how the spread outwards of this occurs, of this message, and what it looks like as Gentiles, as they're welcomed into this, what was a closed shop. So I suppose the bigger context should be seen as this. So you know I like to do big, grandiose 
overview. So here it is. God started with relationship with everybody. Okay, there was no Jew, Gentile, there was no, it was everybody. It was mankind, his creation, that's what he started with. And he had perfect relationship with that. Sin broke this. And although God continues to act in grace towards his creation, we're still separated. God chose a people to himself to show the way back, even coming down and dwelling amongst them in the tabernacle with a sacrificial system to bridge the gap between God and his people. But rejection and disobedience continue to follow. Sin needs dealing with. Atonement was required. So Jesus becomes the Passover lamb, our payment for all sin. And now the final part of the mystery is revealed. God is calling all people back to relational position with himself. It was God's intention at the start and be assured it also will be at the end. The book of Acts is the story of how God broadens back out the narrative that the Bible has squeezed down from everybody to just Jesus and then broadens back out to all of you again, all of us, all of creation. And because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within all of those who believe the guarantee of our salvation, we can partially experience what it means to have God dwell amongst us now. However, it's just a glimpse of the full restoration that God has in mind for us. A new heaven, a new earth, where we dwell with him for eternity. The Holy Spirit, with the outworking of God's power, is the sign of this new covenant. This is massive. This is huge. God has made his dwelling place with us. Just as he said he would. No more just in the temple. No more just limited. God filled the tabernacle in the desert. He met with the high priest at the Ark of the Covenant. God filled the temple. And now God dwells with us, forming us into a living temple. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? This is huge. God promised to dwell with us and here it is. Here's the reality. And it's really important to see the fullness of God's intentions as we work through the rest of the New Testament. And equally important to note that this is the fulfillment of all of the covenant promises that have gone before. Everything in the Old Testament has modeled this. This is what the reality is now. And the book of Acts is the framework for the rest of the New Testament to fit into. Apart probably from Revelation which will bring us at last to the day of the Lord and the kingdom of heaven's full arrival. So as the gospel is pronounced and spread across the regions from Jerusalem, the power of the kingdom is displayed. You need to see this when you read. Whatever happens when the disciples and the apostles go out, what happens? Signs and wonders follow the preaching of the gospel. The statement at the time of Peter at the time of Pentecost becomes the blueprint for this current age. 
I want to make this point. There is no age distinct. There's no distinction between what happened when the apostles were operating and us now. There is no mysterious kind of that that stopped and we're in this wilderness. It becomes, as Peter preaches and he steps onto the step, uh, well, he steps out at the time of Pentecost. They come out of the room, the power of the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. They come out and suddenly they've got this boldness, haven't they? They've got this attitude of, hey, we know the truth now. Not only do we think we know the truth, now we know the truth. And now we're going to absolutely proclaim it. All of our fear has gone, poof. And God breaks in, doesn't he? Acts 2. 14 to 21, Peter says, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. I think he's drilling home something here, isn't he? Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, here we go, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see many visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I won't tell you what my dream was last night. Actually, I will. It was horrible. I had a horrible dream and it kept repeating. This place was just full of tar on the floor, like really muck. Some people had just been abusing it. And then when I went in there, there was water from a burst pipe that was just soaking all the walls and it's like all of the good stuff that had been accomplished was just being washed away horrible I stood against it and said no but I also need to go we need to make sure that we don't let that happen by running off in our own directions and running off doing what we want to do if God's in control then that won't happen but if we are if we take control of God and we say <laughs> we'll do this thanks very much thanks for the helping hand but we'll take it from here I know what will happen so I think it was, I, don't, I don't know where it came from but it was uh, it was pretty vivid anyway <sighs> yes you're an old man I don't I've just made myself an old man there haven't I you're all men with dream dreams <laughs> Freudian slip <laughs> But that's not the point. The point is that all of this is happening. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. That's a, such a blanket statement, isn't it? You call in the name of Jesus, you will be saved. End of. Period. Holy Spirit comes in, guarantee of your salvation. Bang. Done. So here, hopefully, is what the kingdom looks like now. I try to put it in some form of chart for you. It's really good, that. Thank you, Jamie. So I give Jamie these tasks and he just comes up with them. So here we have the kind of, this is everything that's kind of gone on before Jesus coming, okay? Jesus comes and then this circle intersects with that first circle. And this is the time that we dwell in now. 
the present age. And all we're waiting for is Jesus to return and herald in the fulfillment of the age to come. In other words, the return back to everything without sin, without anything to disturb it. And that runs on forever. It's just eternal. It's a circle, an unbroken circle, eternal. So we dwell in that middle section. So everything in that middle section is what we are now describing, what Luke is describing to us in the book of Acts. It's what we should expect. It's marked with demonstrations of God's power and authority in a fallen world that continues to deny and persecute. So we have to persevere through this section. We have to get through it whilst we wait for the final climactic event of the day of the Lord. His final appearing to judge and separate, where he will separate the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, the saved from the lost. This is the reality that our Bible talks about. There will be a separation. And that separation comes right here, folks. When Jesus returns again, that's what he's coming to do. And then after that, Everybody that doesn't belong to him, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, goes to hell. And everybody else dwells with God in the way it was intended. Perfection, that picture that we painted before, comes to reality. And the book of Acts chronicles the outworking of God's plan from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the travels of the apostles, most famously Paul, which you'll learn about from the kids next week, to the ends of the earth. Just as Jesus said they would. All of the letters that follow then deal with the cultural shift as God's plan begins to widen back out to draw all men back to himself and also the disruption and the persecution that this will inevitably bring. You stand up for Jesus now, and what do you get? You get shouted down, don't you? You try and talk about Jesus on TV, they're not going to let that happen. They'll let you talk about all the alternatives, but they're not going to let you talk about Jesus. Standing up for Jesus brings persecution. The Bible tells us that. Okay, so don't be sucked into a false reality that somehow as a Christian that you, all, the, all your ills of life disappear because they don't. But you have something within you that is the assurance of what is coming. The hope that is in your heart. This world, the world that we live in has systems that operate it. And they really don't like it when the truth is told. They really don't like being exposed. But there are world systems in operation. And we as Christians are not part of it. So Adam failed in the face of temptation. And Satan came down and tempted him in the garden. And he swapped eternal heaven for temporal earth. That was the decision he made. I want you to notice something. Jesus resisted Satan. Satan still came and tempted Jesus in the, in the desert before he started his ministry. And Jesus was a man, fully man. And he claimed back eternity in heaven for mankind. He reversed death 
and restored life. How? Because he resisted Satan just as Adam should have resisted Satan. But he didn't and he failed. And the rest is what we're stuck in. Jesus resisted and beat Satan. And it's up to us, the church, to call in those to whom, to whom heaven will be restored. For the day is coming where rest will be entered into, but this time with no Satan to spoil the pie. A perfect Eden is on its way. Therefore, people, pursue the prize. Okay? When Paul talks about pursuing the prize and facing the battle and making it to the finishing line, can you see what the finishing line is? Get through this. Get through the time that we live in now. How do we do it? With the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Outworking. It's not the entirety of heaven that we will experience, but we will glimpse and encounter parts of heaven now. And it's that that will get us across that gap. I love, I've got some juggling balls and they say on the mind the gap, you know, from London Underground. And I absolutely love that because when I see that, I know exactly what it means. Mind that gap. Don't fail in that gap. Get across it. Enter into the rest that God has for you. And that goes for, and whilst we're, Whilst we're navigating that gap, our responsibility as church is to tell people about Jesus, to bring them in, and to demonstrate outworkings of power through the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.